All right, I'm back. It's good to be back. Thanks to uh, Marie Osborne for filling in yesterday. It's a very busy news day, so uh, enough with the pleasantries. We'll get uh, right to it. Uh, top story yesterday, Rashad Torice, the 26-year-old man accused of kidnapping and murdering two-year-old Winter Smith after stabbing and sexually assaulting her mother in Lansing, pled not guilty to kidnapping resulting in death, which has a minimum uh, sentence of life in jail, and kidnapping a minor, which has a minimum sentence of 20 years in jail. Now, Trice is also facing a number of state charges uh, in Ingham County, uh, which is where Lansing is, which is where he um, kidnapped uh, Winter Smith. Um, Wayne County, which is uh, where he um, got rid of Winter Smith's body in a field in Detroit. And Macomb County, uh, which is where he was apprehended by police in St. Clair Shores. And, of course, um, as we know, all those state charges have been consolidated by Attorney General Dana Nessel to be tried all at once to protect witnesses and uh, family of uh, of the victim from having to testify multiple times. And uh, Trice could a- actually face the death penalty if he's convicted on these federal charges. Former Minneapolis police officer Tutau was sentenced to five years in prison in connection with the death of George Floyd yesterday. Tao, who was seen on the infamous video holding back bystanders while Derek Chauvin held his knee on George Floyd's neck, was charged back in May for aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. He is the final four former Minneapolis police officers charged in Floyd's death. Now, uh, Tao was sentenced to three and a half years in jail last year for violating George Floyd's civil rights in a separate court case, and those sentences will run concurrently. And, of course, Derek Chauvin, the man who knelt on Floyd's neck, uh, until he died, he's serving a 22 and a half year jail sentence while the other two officers face uh, nearly identical sentences as Tao. And uh, Tao and his defense said that uh, he was just acting as a human traffic cone. But uh, I, I would imagine at a certain point, once you realize excessive force is being used and that um, the suspect has been neutralized and, and he is dying, then it's uh, there's a responsibility to act, uh, which nobody did. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump respond to a protective order request by federal prosecutors. Here's Fox's Grinnell Scott. Lawyers defending former President Trump say the protective order request is too broad and further say the move would restrict free speech in a trial about free speech. The government took a weekend post from the defendant on his truth social site saying, if you go after me, I'm coming after you as a threat. The Trump team suggests shielding only the most sensitive details from the public. Prosecutors only want the former president and his legal team to see any shared evidence. The defense and former President Trump call this prosecution purely political. Gernal Scott, Fox News. And Jack Smith has responded to Trump's response, saying it's unreasonable because um, the former president wants to try this in the court of social media, uh, the court of public opinion, and not the court of law. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, Now, the FCC has issued a $300 million fine to robocall operators. Um, You know the ones, the ones who used to call you about your car's extended warranty. It got so ridiculous it actually became a meme. Uh, The FCC's investigation of the robocall centered around two men, Roy M. Cox and Aaron Michael Jones. They were already under a lifetime ban for telemarketing. Um, and they made five billion robocalls 
since 2021 doing business under a, a multiple uh, a, a multitude of fake company names. Um, the FCC uh, officials say that this fine is the commission's largest. And, uh, you know, you know the calls. You get a phone call. We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. And the grift was you have to uh, uh, push a button to talk to a, a person, and then they come on, on online, steal your personal information, and uh, steal your identity. Uh, in Oakland County, the Oakland County clerk uh, is warning people about a new scam where residents are getting postcards claiming to be from the Oakland County Tax Office with a headings that read something like uh, County Deed Records or Home Warranty Division. And it's telling homeowners that they have a tax lien against their house and to call a 1-800 number, um, which similar to the um, robocalls uh, on the uh, extended warranty. You call a phone number, someone picks up, they get your um, personal information, and then they can uh, have access to uh, um, your bank account information and all that. Uh, of course, the Oakland County Clerk's Office says that people may contact them anytime if they are suspicious Um of a correspondence, especially asking them for money. All right, so I, I don't know if this is wishful thinking or this really happened, but there, there seems to be a chill in the air, even though it's supposed to get up to 83 degrees, uh, which means uh, we're, we're less than a month away from football. And, of course, people, fans here in Metro Detroit have a lot to look forward to. Uh, the Lions are expected to win the North. Um, and then after a weekend of, of, of seismic con- uh, conference realignment, the preseason coaches poll came out uh, for uh, college football, and Michigan is at number two. Uh, so they're expected to uh, make another run at the playoffs. Of course, defending champs Georgia's number one, and of course, Michigan has uh, a lot of reason to be optimistic. They got uh, their guy, quarterback JJ McCarthy, back. Um, they've got two, in in my opinion, Heisman quality running backs: Blake Corum, uh, Donovan Edwards, and their strength of schedule. Uh, isn't too tough. It's a, it's uh, uh, 53rd. Um, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin, other Big Ten schools. Michigan State uh, did not make the top 25. They had a rough season last year. And, uh, oh, by the way, I thought this deal was dead in the water, but uh, the Lions signed Teddy Bridgewater uh, to be their backup quarterback. I remember before the draft, there's some talk about this. Uh, it went away. They drafted Hennon Hooker from Tennessee, who was on a Heisman Trophy trajectory before he got injured. So um, you can't understate the importance of a good backup quarterback. Just ask the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Jay Freeman on my board, you and I were talking about this video when I came in this morning. That uh, uh, that video, you've probably seen it out there, it, it, either that or the memes. This uh, brawl that happened on the dock of a uh, commercial uh, riverboat dock out in Montgomery, Alabama. The video starts with uh, with uh, a, a, a white guy and a black dock worker arguing, um, and then the white guy swings on the dock worker, the dock worker swings back, and then an all-out brawl ensues. You were telling me about this, Jay? Yeah, I was. I was actually looking at all the memes and stuff. Um, There's a lot of stuff with the, the chairs and... There's guys like swimming across the river to get to them and everything. Right. And, and once I was looking at it, this reminds me of like a, a wrestling Royal Rumble type of brawl type of thing that was going on. And Yeah, it, it was nuts. Uh, like I said, it starts off with a black dock worker arguing with a white man, asking him to move his pontoon so a riverboat could dock on the pier. 
Uh, the dock worker's pushed. He pushes back. Another guy comes out of nowhere and charges the dock worker, and an all-out brawl ensues. Like I said, people getting hit with chairs. Uh, there was one guy who swam across the river um, to help out the dock worker. That's one guy I want having my back in a fight. The, the guy who will swim across, uh, who will swim across a uh, busy marina to help me out. Yeah, I'll be that guy for you. I'll make sure I swim across if I see something going on with you. That'll be a pact. If uh, either one of us finds ourselves in a brawl on a dock, the other one will swim swim across and, and help run interference. Most definitely. <laughs> uh, uh, now, so, so one witness, Jay, said that the riverboat waited for the pontoon to move for 30 to 45 minutes before the dock worker just went down to untie it, which is when the original assailant came over and the altercation began. I bring this up because... Um, Authorities in Montgomery have issued several arrest warrants in connection with the brawl. Um, and there's no word on, on who's been issued the arrest warrants. But uh, Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed said that the police acted swiftly to detain several reckless individuals for attacking a man who was doing his job. So I'm guessing the, um, the, the man with the pontoon is, is judged to be in the wrong here. I don't know how many people who joined the brawl are going to get charged, but there's a news conference scheduled for this afternoon. So... We will see. It's uh, first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. The FDA approved the first ever pill for postpartum depression late last week, which by all accounts could be a game changer. Dr. Kurt Wharton, chief of women's and children's clinical care programs at Corwell Health, lends his expertise to Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson on JR Morning. So the word came out uh, as we were leaving the air on Friday. There was a major breakthrough from the Food and Drug Administration granting approval to the first pill ever for postpartum depression and if you've had a a woman in your life that has suffered through this it's supposed to be one of the happiest times in your life and yet you have these this nagging uh, depression that can come with it and the drug is called i believe it's Mm zoranolone and uh, to tell us more about it is dr kurt wharton chief of women's and children's clinical care programs at corwell health dr wharton good morning Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk about this critically important subject. So so why is it that existing antidepressants weren't as effective for postpartum depression? Why did we need a specific drug? That's really an excellent question. We use the same word, depression, but it's really two different diseases with chronic anxiety and depression. We have a variety of medications that address shortages in the neurotransmitters. But in postpartum depression... We believe it's a result in changes of the stimulation of the brain by hormones, specifically one called allopregnenolone, which is a metabolite of progesterone. The GABA receptors of the brain and spinal cord are stimulated throughout pregnancy, and once pregnancy ends, the brain reacts in this way. We've had an intravenous medication available for over three years now, but it's very expensive, and it required that women come to the hospital, be admitted for three days for a 60-hour infusion. Now, we have 4 million women deliver babies each year, and we know that postpartum depression affects one in eight women. So that's 500,000 women each year, and we know that more than 50% go completely undiagnosed. It's just food. You're going to be fine, but they're not. And of those who are diagnosed, only 16% receive any kind of treatment. And in the past, we only had the oral medications for chronic depression, which really were, were ineffective. And it's very sad. You know, we hear a lot in the news about the terrible rates of women dying due to pregnancy 
in the United States. And in the mm-hmm. past, we've focused on death due to hemorrhage, infection, heart disease. But we now know if you extend the postpartum period out to one year after delivery, which it should be, the leading cause of maternal death is suicide. And tragically, this came oh right God. this weekend. In New York, Dr. Crystal Pacetta, who is a 40-year-old hematologist-oncologist, a cancer specialist. Yes. At one of the finest institutions here, had access to care, killed her child and killed herself mm. four months after delivery. I mean, that's how tragic this is, and it's something we've just overlooked. So is it a game changer? Absolutely, because now women don't have to come to the hospital. They can go to their doctor and get a prescription, and the medication appears to become effective. You have to take a pill once a day, and women are noticing a benefit as early as three days. Pretty much everybody feels pretty good at 15 days, and it lasts for at least a month, at which time the body is going through its normal adjustment after after delivery. So we'll hope that we'll bridge this terrible time that if untreated can result in these terrible outcomes. You know, Dr. Wharton, uh, from what I understand, that this trial for the drug uh, went out for just only 45 days. So they say basically it's, you have a great durable effect out to day 45, but what happens after that remains to be seen. How long does postpartum depression last, and will this medication help past 45 days? That's what we hope so. With our previous medication, which was intravenous, the studies also only went to 30 to 45 days. And what we did find is that was enough to allow the body to go through its normal adjustment period where the brain and spinal cord were not as sensitive. And then many women you know, will experience some development of chronic anxiety fatigue, which we can treat with traditional medication. And now women who are breastfeeding, can they use this medication? Now, that's an interesting question. Now, in the intravenous medication, the original study said, you know, we're not going to have women breastfeed. But that's because we don't allow women who are breastfeeding, and truthfully, women who are pregnant, to participate in almost any new medicine research. And that's a problem because half our patients are women, and women of reproductive age need help. So what we do know is that allopregnenolone is a natural product that the body makes during pregnancy. The the, uh, placenta produces progesterone in very high amounts. It's the number one hormone of pregnancy. And it's metabolized as allopregnenolone. So we use allopregnenolone, but we called it Zoreso when we gave it IV. And now we're given an oral form, and we're calling it Zorenolone. But, you know, it's a natural product. Okay. And again, it's a very short term. So we're feeling very comfortable. So we are still going to hold off giving it to women who may be symptomatic while they're still pregnant. Mm-hmm. I hope physicians won't hesitate to administer once women are clearly symptomatic and need the medication after delivery. And breastfeeding, I, I think there'll be some back and forth on it. But personally, no, I would have no reservations at all having a breastfeeding so woman use this. It's far, far more important to support that maternal bond between the mother and the baby. Yeah. So it's a game-changing treatment, which is a wonderful thing. But if women, if, if there's a stigma to acknowledging that you're struggling with this, how do we break through that so that they can access this game changer? That is the greatest question, and I really want to thank you for that. That is the problem we have with the intravenous therapy. People were just too embarrassed. But that's yeah. true for any type of illness, any, especially when it comes to mental illness. In our society, it's looked down upon. It, it shouldn't be any different if you have an infection, if you have diabetes, right. you have a medical imbalance, it should be treated, and you shouldn't be felt or be made to feel that you're inferior you should be ashamed no it's 
quite after, I, you know, the younger generation is much better at addressing this. And well, I really ha- commend them for coming out. You know, the other part is the, the ally in this is the young fathers out there. What should we be watching for? Not that I will ever be a young father again, but if <laughs> I was, what would I, be, what right. would I be watching out for? Right. Something you want to tell us. No, but, you know, it's interesting. There is even a, a field of study in men who experience postpartum depression because it's changing their life, too. Sure. Uh, but, you know, certainly noticing a change where the woman is not happy is cheerful. Certainly if she speaks up and she – vocalizes that she's feeling depressed or feels that she's afraid she's not being a good mother or she's afraid of hurting her baby. Those are huge warnings. Yeah, and then it's it's okay for us to say, honey, I, I see you struggling. There's no shame in that. Let's talk to a specialist about this. Uh, and I'm That would sure be that, the greatest thing. Yeah, I'm sure there are even better ways to vocalize that. Dr. Wharton, we're so pleased you were able to join us, and hopefully it is a new day for women that struggle with this and the young fathers, too, mm-hmm. uh, because you're right. It's a, this, is a, this is a team affliction within the family, and it's no way to start what should be one of the most joyous times in your life. Thank you for your expertise, sir, and, and hopefully oh, we'll, it'll just give you more arrows uh, to defeat this, this dreaded demon uh, that we know as postpartum depression. Thank you very much. Detroit proved to be very lucrative for the WWE over the weekend. SummerSlam was in town, and uh, it generated $8.5 million uh, in in ticket sales, which is the largest uh, gate for a uh, non-WrestleMania event in the company history. Also, another $7 million from sponsors. So the prosecution has laid out a very compelling, very emotional case Um, in the Miller hearing for the Oxford High School shooter to determine whether or not um, he will receive life life in prison without parole as a minor. But could some of the testimony be damaging the criminal case against his parents? Attorney Todd Flood of Flood Law discusses with Kevin Dietz and Marie Osborne on All Talk. The prosecution's comments in the Ethan Crumbly case present a potential risk for the case against his parents. While they argue that Ethan was not mentally ill and fully responsible for the school shooting, they also assert that the parents knew of his troubled mental state but failed to take appropriate actions, which may contradict their claim regarding his mental health. This discrepancy in the prosecution's stance could be exploited by the defense during the parents' trial, potentially weakening the case against them. Let's bring in Todd Flood, attorney at Flood Law. Good morning, Todd. How are you? Hey, Kevin. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being here. Um, what do you think? Could, could this be a problem for prosecutors when it gets to the parents? I think if you cherry pick certain things, you know, you can make anything sound whatever you want it to sound like. If you listen to the whole cross-examination uh, by Karen McDonald's team of uh, Dr. King, who was on the stand, um, what they were showing was is that his analysis of Ethan was uh, basically junk science and that didn't meet up to the standard for which they you know, should assess the shooter. The shooter, you know, in this particular case, uh, he had malice of forethought. He premeditated. He talked about it. Um, he, he basically drew out his plans. And then, you know, what, what is, I think, gets the trifecta in this case, ultimately, if memory serves me correct, you know, when, when they're in the counselor's office on the day of the shooting, and um, and the pictures are out and the drawings are there and uh, there's a gun and 
the question is asked, and Ethan lies. The shooter lies. He says, oh, it's just a game, I, a video game I was playing. Uh, uh, you know, I don't have a gun. And he lies. He lies about what is going on. The parents sit there and say nothing as it relates to the gun aspect of it. So, you know, I, I, I really think, Kevin, it, it, this is the first time in our country that we've had a prosecution of parents for a mass shooting. But it's not the first time in the state of Michigan that we've had parents on trial for the gross negligence of giving a, a, a kid a gun or leaving a gun out and having someone else use it, a child use it and shoot somebody. So the fact of the matter is, is that um, the shooter in this case, Grumbly in this case, uh, they showed the circumstances, that's, and they showed the family uh, unit. Those are mitigating factors, the family unit, uh, but the, the biggest thing here uh, is can you show by clear and convincing evidence that he is uh, of such a mindset that he's corrupt? He's not, you know, not going to be rehabilitated. And I think all of the, the symptoms, all the boxes that the pros, that the expert forensic psychiatrists are going to uh, bring out, and that's who's going to come out on August 18th. That's the next date. That's the next hearing, August 18th. And you will see a forensic psychologist check all the, the things for the court to understand why uh, the shooter in this particular case is not one that uh, is geared for being rehabilitated. Um, it, and it's serious. It's, it's sad. It's serious. Karen McDonald takes it very seriously. You, and, and it merits mention that 19 other cases that she's had that came before her, she basically reversed the life sentences of juveniles. So this is one where I, I don't think, if you take out of context what they were doing on cross-examination of Dr. King, I don't think um, they were doing anything other than impeaching Dr. King in his assessment of whether or not the shooter in this case was competent or not competent. Was he howling at the moon doing this, uh, pouring milk over his head? No, he was planning, he was predicting, and he was doing this for the cause of pleasure. If you shoot somebody, you shoot somebody in self-defense, that's your reason. He shoots somebody, he's doing it for pleasure. That's uh, when I asked uh, our, our doctors in our office about their assessment of, of Ethan Crumbly. It is for pleasure that he seeks pain. And uh, that's that's a pretty hard wiring to reverse. Uh, Todd, uh, during uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the assistant Ca uh, Oakland County prosecutor, David Williams, argued in court. This stuck out in my mind so much. He said that uh, the Ethan Crumley ne did not ask for help. The day that they went in the, to the office, as an example, that day, that fateful day, uh, he said, Mom and Dad, I need help, or I feel like there's no hope. I even brought a gun to school. In other words, he's asking, why didn't he say that? Well, but in fact, he did say that. He did tell his parents repeatedly, I need help. And in fact, he used those words and in many, many other ways, he, by his actions, he was saying, I need help. And he never got the help. So to me, that question or the, the uh, prosecutor saying that was like, wait a minute, have you been listening to the testimony? He did say that. 
Yeah. So I think, Marie, that you, you bring up a point, a good point. But here, here the, the issue is, is that someone with a competent mind? So if I'm asking for help, that's someone that knows the difference, right, between right and wrong. That's someone that has a cognitive thought, at least, to say and seek help. You're not going to get an argument from me, and I think this is where Karen McDonald's team's at. You're not going to get an argument that the parents were grossly negligent here, that the parents – I mean, if you look at the, the interviews uh, of the neighbors that oh. lived with oh. lived right next door to, to this family and what they saw of how the treatment yes. of the parents were, right, I get it. That just gives me more culpability for the parents giving this kid a gun. Mm -hmm. Would you give, Marie, would you give your child a gun at the age of 15 when he is obviously doing adult decisions and adult consequences? But would you give him a gun when he's in a spiral, when he's in a that that place? No one would with a rational mind, a reasonable Mm -hmm. mind. So I, I, I think what this the story that was coming out there was the attempt to say, hey, listen, um, what you're doing there then in turn bolsters the defense for the crumbly parents. And I don't I don't see that because ultimately the question is going to be, and I think you will see this on the 18th, the rebuttal witness from an actual forensic psychiatrist that did the analysis the show of, you know, the actions he took, he was not mentally ill. He wasn't in a a state where he didn't know the difference between right and wrong. He writes about the difference between right and wrong. He writes about, you know, the facts of being competent. He knows, you know, it's a very low threshold to be competent to stand trial. The second mental illness is insanity. He didn't pass either. He wasn't deficient in either of those two categories. So my, I guess the point of the matter is you got a, a kid and this is, it's presumpt, it should be presumed that you cannot sentence him to life without parole. For you to get a judge to sentence this kid to life without parole, you got to prove by clear and convincing evidence these factors. And the last factor that's ultimately going to be there that the judge is going to have to hone in on, is he such a corrupt mind that he is uh, beyond rehabilitation? And that's a heavy question. Mm -hmm. It's one where a forensic psychiatrist is going to have it. Uh, And then let's just stay focused on the crumbly, the parents. How, How is it that if you go out and target shoot the father when he hears about the shooting, uh, immediately goes home to find the gun, knows. Oh, he knows. knew, he knew. He yeah. knew, right? So it's clear to me they all had the mens rea, that guilty mind um, in that place. But we have to have due process. All right, Todd, we're, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, appreciate it. Todd Flood, attorney at Flood Law. Thanks for being with us. I loved, uh, loved it. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. All right, coming up after the break, we uh, locate Guy and Lloyd wherever they happen to be in the state and get you ready for JR Morning. First thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right, so it was it is Ag Tour Week on the JR Morning Show. So that means it's time for uh, my favorite game show called Where in the World 
or where in Michigan is Nick Roddy, Lloyd Jackson, and Guy Gordon. Fellas, where do we find you this morning? Uh, move that bus. We are in <laughs> Bay County and, and in Bay City, Michigan, uh, along the shores of the Saginaw River, which was, boy, was that running fast yesterday. It really was, but it's so beautiful, though. It was really nice. Yeah, they had 11-foot swells here in the Saginaw Bay. It was kind of a, a breezy day, but beautiful. We're in sugar beet country. Uh, whatever you're sweetening your coffee with, if it's got the Pioneer brand on it, probably came from a Michigan grower. Yeah. And a Michigan processing plant, which is just down the road from us here on Bay Road. Yeah. And so uh, that's what we're talking. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's great to go around the, uh, the the state and highlight a lot of these companies that uh, people don't necessarily know are from Michigan, but are huge uh, hidden economic drivers. Um, $125 billion annually. Uh, you know, if, if you think of automotive and manufacturing as being $225 billion, uh, this is about 50% of that and then some. Wow, that's that. That's nothing to sneeze at. Powerful, yeah. Uh, so uh, last time we spoke, which was Friday, um, it uh, looked like this Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg fight was dead in the water <laughs> after Zuckerberg was heard on a Meta Town Hall saying that uh, there's no update. But Elon Musk po- uh, posted, tweeted, xed, whatever you call it, um, on Sunday. <laughs> That uh, he's getting an MRI on his neck and upper back uh, this week. But if he doesn't need surgery, the fight is on. And it's going to be streaming on X. And, uh, you know, at least there is is going to be a charitable component to this. Uh, It's going to be uh, streamed on X and proceeds will go to a charity for veterans. And uh, Zuckerberg responded... Shouldn't we use a more reliable platform that can raise money for charity? <laughs> oh, they are going at it already. The smack. I love it. But does don't they sound a little bit like two aging warriors? My lumbago is acting up. i got to get an MRI. Once this gout clears up, your butt is grass, mister. Oh, God. Exactly. How much you want to bet that, uh, you know, he'll come back and say something is wrong? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it turns no. out I've got uh, I've got meningitis and I can never fight again. Oh God! Um, but uh, I, I have to say, unless somebody wrote that for Zuckerberg, the uh, the trash talk has actually been better than expectations so far. Yeah, yeah, and and you know if they if they were to do here's the thing if they don't stage the fight, I hope they still stage something to help the veterans. You've Absolutely now made a commitment fight. to help uh, to, to help veterans. Yes. If you guys weasel out of this. And frankly, it's stupid anyway. Right. But the but the, you've stated a very. There are a lot of great programs out there to help veterans. They ought to they ought to make good on that commitment. And and as long as it's streaming for free and I don't have to pay for it, then I might actually watch it. But uh, but you know, even if they don't do it, they still ought to help the veterans. Absolutely. They, it. they still should do it. So. Um, so normally there's not a whole lot of intrigue for an August primary, but uh, I, I, I would say uh, today Lordy. is a little bit different. <laughs> Obviously, um, the big one is the mayoral race out in Warren. It looks like uh, Mayor Jim Fouts, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit uh, more on JR Morning, but uh, it, it, it seems at least at this point that Mayor Jim Fouts's uh, lawsuit to appear on the ballot, even though the voters of Warren uh, voted for 12-year term limits, and he's in his 16-year, 16th year. Um, it, it has not come to fruition, and he will not be on the uh, the ballot today. 
Well, it's unclear. I mean, I don't think we have a decision yet out of the, we out don't. Of the East, Eastern District. So we, we don't. But, you know, as it stands now, he's not on the ballot unless the federal uh, court does something and they haven't done anything. So maybe they won't do anything. I mean, and then after the election, it's a moot point. He wants a special election. Uh, that would be costly. Of course. The lawsuit has already been costly for the city. Yes. He's kind of it, it's 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 really a sad stain on his legacy as he leaves office. Yeah. He's holding on by the fingernails. Man. And uh, you talk about a throwdown. Um, the throwdown is between Mayor Jim Fouts and uh, City Council President Patrick Green. Yes. Uh, because Green came, came out and said, look, uh, whatever legal bills we're racking up, you're going to pay them. That's what we're going to ask the court for is remuneration on the part of the taxpayers for Warren for this, what he calls, a frivolous lawsuit. And so, uh, yeah, this, this is a, this is a, a pretty intense b- battle here. Uh, and hopefully it won't depress turnout. Maybe it'll energize turnout, but it is kind of a cloud hanging over. And we'll be talking to Patrick Green a little later on this morning. We've right? got Patrick, Patrick Green coming up at 749 okay. on JR Morning. Well, and these, these local mayoral races, they may have uh, ramifications for the state legislature because um, – State Rep. Lori Stone, she's running for mayor of Warren. State Rep. Kevin Coleman, he's running for mayor of Westland. Both of them are Democrats, and if they both win, uh, it could take away the uh, Democrats' majority in the state house, leaving them with a 54-54 split until an election takes place to replace them. Yeah, and there are a, a lot of different things that could happen under that scenario. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, again, we'll be discussing that off the top uh, during a little whip around as we get things started at uh, 6.05. Well, you know, it would be interesting if uh, if uh, Lori Stone ra- uh, ran for, for mayor of Warren. There is a special election uh, to replace her. And then Jim Fouts tries to get on that ballot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't put any ballot. Don't put any ballot. Don't give my deal. So did you uh, say ballot? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, so we got we have a uh, jam packed show. Um, Lloyd, Nick, Guy are uh, up there uh, in Sugar Beet Country for the uh, Pure Michigan uh, Ag Tour, and uh, we'll be back.